Welcome to Grace Church. If, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Hunter. I'm a ministry resident here. And uh, this morning we're continuing our, our series in the Psalms, uh, praying through the Psalms. And maybe you're like me and you struggle with, with prayer sometimes. And the hope is that through going through the Psalms this summer, we will be pushed into praying deeper and praying more to God. And our prayers will ha- we'll have fresh ideas as we come to the Lord in prayer and look at his scriptures. And so as we look at Psalm 145 this morning, I want us to ask this question, how does this Psalm lead us to pray and how does it inform our prayers? Psalm 145 is a Psalm of praise like Ben mentioned. And uh, Charles Spurgeon said that to praise God without praying to him would be impossible. And to pray to God without praising him would be ungrateful. And so praise and prayer are intimately connected. But how often do we really praise God as we pray? Or how how often do we instead just come to him simply asking things of him, asking him to do things for us? But these prayer and praise should be connected. And so let's look at Psalm 145. If you'll open your Bibles to Psalm 145 with me this morning, I'll go ahead and pray for our time in the Word. God, as we open up your word this morning, would you bless us? Would you make your face shine upon us? Would we see you and your greatness in your word? And would we be moved to praise you, God? God, in our prayers, in our life, as we sing, God, we want to see you and praise you for who you really are. So God, help us by your spirit, see and understand your word as we come to it this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 145 is an acrostic poem um, and song that David wrote. And what an acrostic poem means is that uh, he uses almost all the letters of the Hebrew alphabet so that it, the psalm could be easily memorized. So it was sang in the congregation and people could even easily memorize it so that they could, could recite it to themselves. And so this psalm is all about God being worthy of praise for his greatness, for his provision, for his goodness, and for his salvation. And it's actually the only psalm that's labeled a song of praise. So it's fitting that that we'll look at it this morning. And praise is something that we maybe don't look or we don't think about on a daily basis that we're doing. We may only think of it when we come together on Saturday or Friday or whenever we gather and uh, sing praises to God. But in reality, we are praising things every day of our life. I found myself praising something a couple of weeks ago when I had some friends in town and we went to Qasr al-Watan, which is the presidential palace down by the Corniche. And if you've ever been there, it's a very touristy spot. If you've ever been there, the, the building is just magnificent. Um, they, it's made of granite and limestone. It's huge. And there's intricate artwork all over the building. So as I was walking around throughout the building, just looking at the artwork and the architecture, I found myself just saying, wow, this is amazing. This is awesome. And I was saying it over and over and over. Um, and I found myself praising the, the building and those who made it. Like, wow, this is amazing. And the same goes for if you've ever been on top of a mountain with a great view and looked out, or if you've ever been out 
in the middle of the desert at sunset and looking out over the vastness of the dunes, and you've said, wow, this is amazing. When we see something great, we just praise it naturally, right? It just comes out. And so in Psalm 145, David will turn our eyes to the person who's ultimately worthy of praise, God. And so my hope today is that as we read David's words, our hearts will be full of praise towards God and that we'll see the greatness of God and be overwhelmed um, to respond to him. So let's look at it in, in just a couple different sections. Let's first read the first three verses. If you'll look at verse one with me, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. So we see in these first three verses that David commits to praising God for his unmeasurable greatness. So he starts in verse one saying, I will extol you. And extol is not a very common word that we use every day in English. Some of your, some of your translations might say exalt. But the idea here is to lift up in praise. And this, this word brings up something that we see throughout this psalm, and it's that David uses lots of different expressions and words to talk about praising God. Like any good song or poem, he says it over and over in different ways. So here he says, extol, I will extol you, but throughout we'll see bless and speak out and commend and pour forth or declare, all talking about the praise of God. And the emphasis here in the first two verses is that David is committing to praise. He says, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. David is committing to praise God every day and throughout eternity. And so we know that praising God is just not something that happens on a Saturday or a Friday when we come together, but it's something daily. How can David really say that though? I will praise you forever. Well, we see the answer down in verse three. He says, his greatness is unsearchable. And the meaning here is that it can't be counted or numbered. You can't search out and find the end to God's greatness. We can't say, oh, here's how great God is. He's not greater than this. No, it's unsearchable. It can't be measured. I asked Aaron this week who the greatest football player in the world was. And he said, Cristiano Ronaldo. If you disagree, you can take it up with Aaron. But I looked up how many goals has Ronaldo scored over his whole career. And when I looked it up, he had scored 783 goals. Now that's impressive. That's, that's a lot of goals, right? 783. But he hasn't scored 784 goals. At least when I looked it up, he hadn't. He hasn't scored 1,000 goals. And maybe he could do that in his career. I'm, I'm not sure. But he definitely won't score 10,000 goals, right? His greatness is limited, and it's actually measurable. We can say, this is how many goals Ronaldo has scored. And we could probably even go on YouTube and find faults in his game, mistakes he's made. But not God's. His greatness is unsearchable. It can't be counted. And I even thought this week as I was studying this psalm of the popular song, 10,000 Reasons. One of the lines says, I will keep on singing 
10,000 reasons for my heart to find. And 10,000 reasons to praise God is a lot of reasons. But that's still not the end of God's greatness. Even 10,000 reasons. There are an infinite amount of reasons to praise God. And so David sees how great God is and commits to praising him every day. And even though he praises him every day, he won't reach the end of his greatness, even through eternity. And so these first three verses are someone that, that values God, that has tasted and seen the goodness and the greatness of God. And that made me think of how we must labor to really praise God. Not labor in a dreadful way, like we, we might think about labor, but a joyful way. Alicia and I have been married for six years. To some of you, that may seem like a long time. To most of you, that probably seems like a really short time. But after six years of marriage, I'm still laboring to, to know who she is, to know her personalities, her gifts, the great things about her every day. And I learn more great things as time goes on. And I have to labor and work at that, right? But it's a joyful work. And so I should be, t- as, as we're married for longer and longer, I should be telling her, praising her more and more, telling her the great things about her. And I could be lazy in that and stop learning new things about her, right? Um, but our love goes, grows stronger and our marriage grows if I find out more and more great things about her. And our love grows deeper. And that takes work. And I think many times we don't wake up and just start praising the Lord, right? We don't value him like he's valued in this psalm. And so we have to see it. And that takes labor. It takes much prayer, much reading of God's word and preaching to ourselves who God really is. Do you labor like this every day to praise God? I I know that many days I do not. But God's greatness deserves our daily praise. And so let's commit together to seeing God's greatness and praising him for it. Let's look at the next three verses. If you look at verses four through seven, David says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Here David praises God for his works and calls all generations to do the same. So not only does David commit to praising God daily, but he expects generation after generation to tell of his works to one another and praise God to one another. This, is, this was common practice in Israel, right? We see this throughout the Old Testament, Israel passing down the works that God has done. If you'll remember from our time in Exodus, um, the, the series in Exodus, the Passover, the people of Israel were given specific instructions to celebrate the Passover, but not just celebrate it, also to pass it on to their children and the next generations. Moses told the people of Israel in Exodus 12, 26 and 27, he said, I think this will be on the screen. He said, and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? 
you shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. So this is a prime example of God's people commending his works to the next generation. God struck down the Egyptians, but spared his people. He passed over them and it was a mighty work and they sought to faithfully pass it on. So God's people must continue to keep the works of God in front of the next generation. And we should praise God to our children and their children and their children. John, John Piper has said it like this, the education of the next generation must not only aim at exaltation or praise, it must involve exaltation. So we commend God's works to the next generation, not only by teaching them to praise God, but actually by praising God ourselves and meaning it. Do you, do you see how David here weaves together meditating on God's works, praising him and passing it on to the next generation? They all work together. So in verses five and six, he says, on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. David says he meditates on God's works. So we should be thinking every day about the stories on which God has powerfully worked and been mightily and worked mightily to save his people. The greatest of those, of course, is sending Jesus to die for our sins and then raising him from the, from the dead on the third day. And so do you daily read God's word and meditate on what he's done? Do you look back at your own life and see how God has worked powerfully and mightily for your good and praise him for it? Because passing on praise to the next generation requires knowing God's word and his works. So in the next section, we're going to see that David praises God for his goodness to all creation. Verses eight and nine say, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. These verses are full of goodness, but not just goodness, God's goodness to his own people, but good to all people, good to all his creation. The world's a mess and we see it every day, right? It's full of sin and brokenness. All of us, every single person on the planet have sinned and disobeyed God. And we know that the wages of sin is death, right? And yet here we are sitting in Abu Dhabi, alive and breathing, right? And so we see God being slow to anger that he just doesn't destroy the whole thing, right? Like he holds it together. And not only does he not destroy it, but he's actually good to us, even though we don't deserve it. God gives blessings to every single person on the planet. An example, Matthew 5.45 says that, that God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Even the evil and the unjust get the rain and the sun, right? It's almost scandalous to us that God is even good to evil people in this life, right? This is grace and mercy in action. 
And we call this common grace because everybody on the planet that is living gets to experience God's grace in this way by simply just living and breathing. Do you ever dwell on this? Do you, do you think God is so good to me and merciful to me that he woke me up this morning, that I got to see the sun another day, uh, even maybe experience rain. Sometimes we even get to experience rain in the desert and we're sinners and we get to experience God's goodness in this way. And he deserves praise for that, for his goodness to all people. David moves from God's goodness to his kingdom and praises him for that. Read verses 10 through 13 with me. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. So we see in this section that David praises God for his kingdom. Now, when you think of a, a kingdom or a king, you may, depending on, we're all from different places, you may have different pictures in mind of a king. You may think of a benevolent king who's good to his people and generous and kind, or you may think of a king that's tyrannical, power-hungry, and not good to his people. But this section, as we think about God as king, remember this section is square in the middle of talking about God's goodness. And so even though it's about God's powerful kingship and his kingdom, remember his grace and his goodness as king and think about God as both powerful and mighty, but good and gracious. So here though, David highlights God's power. He is a king and does mighty deeds, mighty deeds like parting the Red Sea, creating the whole earth. Like we said, raising Jesus from the dead, something no other king can do. And not only is he powerful, but his kingdom is a forever kingdom, right? And no other king can say that. I looked at two kingdoms this week that, that were that stretched out for a long time. One of them is the kingdom of Cush, and it stretched across from Egypt down to Sudan, and it lasted 1,420 years. It's a long time. And then the, the Roman Empire, it also stretched from Spain over to Iraq at his greatest point, and it lasted 1,480 years. So both of these kingdoms lasted for over a thousand years, right? These reigns lasted for over a thousand years. And I'm sure after a thousand years, your people will start to become pretty confident, like, oh, maybe this thing will just last forever. You know, we've been going for a thousand years. But both of those empires and kingdoms are not here today, right? They failed. And that's just like every earthly kingdom will eventually fail. But verse 13 says that God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures throughout all generations. So everlasting is a lot longer than 1400 years. Even though God is presented as powerful and mighty in these verses, look back at verse one where David says, my God and my King. So David's not praising some distant God, some distant King. 
He's not far off from David, but a personal, good, and loving king that is near to his servant David. He says, my king. Think of the other Psalms that we've studied the last couple of weeks, the personal nature of the prayers that David has prayed. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and create in me a clean heart, O God. These are personal prayers. And so the great grand God that we see in this Psalm is also a personal God that's near to us. And that God is worthy of praise. No other God can be both powerful and mighty and personal to us. We aren't done yet. The psalm is full of things to praise God. So look at verses 14 through 16 with me. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy every living thing. So we see God, or David, praises God for his provision. So we continue to see his goodness in his provision here. He gives food in due season. Without God, we have no bread. We have no water. Every living thing on the planet relies on God to provide for them, right? And David gives this wonderful picture of us, of of God extending his hand to us and opening it to give us food, feeding us with an open hand. Do we think of receiving food like this? I know that usually we pray and thank God for our food, but, but do we really praise him for providing for us? It's, it, it might seem simple to us, but it's really an amazing thing that God provides for all of creation to eat and to drink and to live. We should say when we, when we have our food, God, you reach down, you open your hand and you satisfy it. We don't deserve this food. We're utterly dependent on you to provide. It should well up praise in us that we're just being able to eat. Psalm 104 uh, verses 14 through 15 give us a really good picture of how God does this. It says, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen the man's heart. Everything that feeds us comes from God. God even causes the grass to grow. He even gives people the ability to farm and bring forth food. Well, some people at least. And his sovereign hand provides for us amazingly. So we should praise God for his provision. Let's move to this final section, verses 17 through 21. David praises God here for his salvation and prays for everyone to praise the Lord. He writes in verse 17, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. 
In verses 18 and 19, David says that God hears our cry and saves us. Now, this made me immediately think of Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We know the truth that God hears us and saves us. And if we call on God, trusting in Jesus for our sins, he will save us. And this is wonderful news, right? But that isn't even the end of the good news in this passage. Not only does he save those who call on him, he also says he preserves those who love him. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit and God will preserve you. And this is also good news for the non-Christian. Even if you're not a Christian, you say, how? Well, if you're not a Christian, you can call on Jesus right now and he will hear you and save you. He will not only save you, but he'll give you your spirit and preserve, give you his spirit and preserve you. What amazing news this is. This is worthy of unending praise to God. And David here shows the sharp contrast between the wicked and those who love God. He says, the Lord destroys the wicked. And at first, this sounds harsh to us, right? But we read in verse 17 that God is righteous in all his ways. We can trust him and his judgments. That's why we know that when, God, when David says, God will destroy the wicked, that it's just and that God's right in every decision. We also know that God's gracious and slow to anger and hears our cries. So if you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet, you have the opportunity to turn from your sin call out to him and trust him. One of my favorite quotes about this is from a preacher named Thomas LeBlanc. He was in the 19th century, a preacher. He says, never has one yet cried to King Jesus who has not been heard and delivered. This is great news. We must praise and declare this truth that God hears our cry and saves us. Paul was overwhelmed with this truth and modeled our res- what our sh- response should be to, to God's salvation. As we know, Paul wrote Romans, and in the first 11 chapters of Romans, he very detailed, uh, gives a very detailed description of God's plan for salvation, right? And at the end of those 11 chapters, he just explodes in praise to God. In in verse 33 of Romans 11, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. His response is praise to the gospel glorifying God, worship. And so like Paul and David, praise is how we should respond to God's salvation. If you look at verse 21, David then recommits after all these truths that he's laid out in this Psalm, he recommits to praise just as he did in verses one and two. He says, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And how could he not praise God with the truths that we've heard in this Psalm? And that's what the proper response is, right? To, to praising God. It's more commitment to praise. 
David, finally, David ends the psalm with saying, let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. He ends the psalm by praying that everyone would join him in praising God. He's seen the God that has infinite value, his kingdom, his goodness, his provision, his salvation. And he says, everyone should bless God's holy name. His praise is not a private praise, but it's a public praise. And David doesn't respond to the glory of God that we see in this passage by keeping it to himself, but his prayer turns outward. Just as we saw last week in Psalm 51, as David had sinned and confessed, but then tasted of God's salvation, he turned outward to teach others. Well, this week, David sees the glory of God and turns outward in his prayer. He doesn't stop with praise, but turns to a heart of wanting others to praise as well. And C.S. Lewis says that we do this with everything in life. He says, just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. The psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. So as our hearts recognize the truth about God, we praise him and then we turn outward that others may praise him as well. Do you think of the reality that many today do not know God for who he is? They don't know the truths in this psalm about his goodness to them, about his provision for them, about his salvation for them. And so the proper response to these things is worship, but it should also be that others would praise him. Our families, our neighbors, our colleagues and friends, God deserves the praise of all of them, everyone on the planet. So as we respond in praise to who he is, let our prayer also be with the psalmist in Psalm 67, verses three and four. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. May we be a people that not only praise God with all of our heart, but we desire the nations to praise him as well. May we say with David, let all flesh bless his holy name. I think we can respond to this passage practically really in two ways. First, let's let our prayers be filled with praise to God. Let's incorporate praise to God in every prayer that we pray. Too often we only come to God and ask him for things, but God deserves our praise. So I encourage you to pray in praise of God for who he is and what he's done. And then I also just encourage you to to take some time and pray through this psalm. I think it would do our hearts well. I challenge you to, to pray through it this week and let it shape your prayers. We would do really well to let Psalm 145 influence and shape our, our public and our private prayers. And so that's how I want to end this morning is just praying through Psalm 145 briefly in praise of God, because our only response to these truths is to praise him more and more. And so I'll pray for us. God, we 
as Grace Church, commit to praising you, God, every day. God, we commit to praising you for your greatness, God. You are great. Um, You're greatly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. We will never find the end to it, God. You have done mighty works, God. You have brought us to yourself and given us your spirit, and you've raised your son Jesus from the dead. And we thank you for that. God, we ask that we would commend this to the next generation, God, that you would give us hearts of praise that tell generation after generation of your goodness and your works. God, we pray that we remember your goodness. God, you're good to us. You're good to all people. You're slow to anger. God, we don't get what we deserve, God, but you give us grace and mercy. God, and then you're powerful. You have a kingdom that will last forever and ever and is unstoppable. God, we praise you for your provision of food, God, all the things that happen in the world so that we can just eat and drink water. God, we praise you for your salvation, God. God, that you have, that you will hear our cry and save us, God. What an amazing truth. God, we ask, God, that if anyone hasn't put their trust and faith in you through Jesus Christ, that they would, God. God, and then we pray with David, God, that all the earth would praise you. Let all flesh bless your holy name, God. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.